You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. It's all so damn sad, isn't it? That was my three-word tweet yesterday. There was just nothing else to say. So damn sad. I love the flag that flies over the private office building from which we broadcast each and every day. And I was coming in this morning, and it was at full staff. I mean, it's not a government building. There's no requirement. There's been no formal declaration. And I was heartened by – I sent an email to management, and I said, don't you think the flag maybe should be – I always want to say half-mast, but I know that's boats. Half-staff today. And they they graciously wrote back and they said, you know what? You're right. You're right. Uh, And I don't relish the finger-pointing and the this will sound strange coming from me because of what I do for a living. All we do is analyze politics around here. It's the POTUS channel, but I know that coming is going to be the whole partisan divide. I saw signs of it in my read-in this morning. In, In fact, I should share this with you. I have in front of me the Wall Street Journal lead editorial, the Kabul airport massacre, and then the lead editorial of the L.A. Times, the latest tragedy in Kabul. Actually, you you could parse the words of those headlines and know that there's a different take coming. The airport massacre, the latest, the latest tragedy in Kabul. Isn't that interesting? I hadn't thought of it until this this particular moment. And I read through these two pieces, each well written, and I thought there's there's truth in each. There are things I disagree in each. And maybe this will be the good framework to begin this program. What should I do first? How about if I go for the Wall Street Journal first? The jihadist attack on Kabul airport that everyone feared finally happened on Thursday, killing 13 American soldiers and wounding 15 as well as killing at least 90 Afghans and wounding dozens more. The suicide bomber is responsible for the deaths. That's true. The suicide bomber is responsible for the deaths. President Biden spoke for the country Thursday in his expression of empathy and loss, but he can't duck responsibility for the failure to provide enough force to execute a safe evacuation. My question that I wrote in the margin, was that possible? The journal says the president cannot duck responsibility for the failure to provide enough force to execute a safe evacuation. I'm left wondering, would any amount of force, given the positioning and nature of the Kabul airport, have enabled the safe evacuation of everybody? And there's an issue here as to whether Bagram, should have been used. I'll get to that. 
the subject of the president's responsibility was uh, the focus of an interesting exchange. You know, the the Jim Acosta of the Biden administration is now Peter Ducey from Fox News. And I enjoy their exchanges. They, they don't get as as condescending as was the case with Acosta and Trump going back and forth on each of their part. Uh, but I, I like when Ducey gets a question, both with Jen Psaki and with the president. And yesterday, here's what that sounded like. I'll take one more question. Always the last one. Let me take the one question from the most interesting guy that I know in the press. That's you. Mr. President, there had not been a U.S. service member killed in combat in Afghanistan since February of 2020. You set a deadline, you pulled troops out, you sent troops back in, and now 12 Marines are dead. You said the buck stops with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks? I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. But here's the deal. You know, I wish you'd one day say these things. You know, as well as I do, that a former president made a deal with the Taliban, that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1. In return, the commitment was made, and that was a year before. In return, he was given a commitment that the Taliban would continue to attack others, but would not attack any American forces. Remember that? I'm I'm being serious. No, I'm asking you a question. uh, Because before... No, 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 wait a minute. I'm asking you a question. Is that, is that accurate, the best of you or not? What? Do you think that people have an issue with pulling out of Afghanistan or just the way that things have happened? What Peter Ducey is saying is people don't have an issue with the decision to leave. They have an issue with the way you've gone about it. I think they have an issue that people are likely to get hurt. Some, as we've seen, have gotten killed and that it is messy. The reason why, whether my friend will acknowledge it or has reported it, the reason why there were no attacks on Americans, as you said, from the date until I came into office was because the commitment was made by President Trump. I will be out by May 1st. In the meantime, you agree not to attack any Americans. That was the deal. That's why no American was attacked. And you said, uh, a few days ago, you said you squarely stand by your decision to pull out. Yes, I do, because look at it this way, folks. And I'm going to I have another meeting for real. But imagine where we'd be if I had indicated on May the 1st I was not going to renegotiate an evacuation date. We were going to stay there. I'd have only one alternative. Pour thousands of more troops back into Afghanistan to fight a war that we had already won relative to why the reason we went in the first place. I have never been of the view that we should be sacrificing American lives 
to try to establish a democratic government in Afghanistan, a country that has never once in its entire history been a united country. Trying to be fair to both sides. There's more to that, but I think you get the gist of it. I I must say the president trying to have it both ways to my eye. Fundamentally, all that has happened, he says, I'm responsible for. And then very quickly pivoting and says, well, but, you know, Trump made this deal. Mark had uh, Mark Halpern had in the wide world of news today, a Charlie Cook tweet that says Biden's position is that this sort of thing was always going to happen. Which is why it caught us by surprise. Which underscores why we're leaving. And that's why we need to strike back. So the mission will go on. Yeah, isn't that a word salad? But it's kind of true. Biden's position is that this sort of thing was always going to happen, which is why it was a surprise, which underscores why we better get out, which is why we need to strike back so that the mission will go on. Back to the Wall Street Journal. ISIS in Afghanistan claim responsibility for the attack, which a spokesman for the Taliban condemned. But the Taliban were supposed to provide security outside the airport perimeter, and they failed if they tried at all. Interesting, because this gets to an issue we're going to deal with in the second hour of the program, this this uh, idea that Americans provided the Taliban with names of Americans and Afghanis that we were trying to get out. I don't see it as being in the interest of the Taliban that all this happened yesterday because it forces us to maintain some level of presence. It elevates so-called ISIS-K. They're in a competition, the Taliban and ISIS-K. I think a, a lot of people don't understand that they're, they're two different animals, just as al-Qaeda and the Taliban and ISIS-K are all different entities with, with different purposes. But the, the, the presupposition of what I was reading in the journal is like, hey, this is good news for the Taliban. This is what the Taliban wanted. I don't think so. Further along in the Wall Street Journal editorial, what a position for the U.S. to be in, relying on the victorious enemy that has spent years trying to kill Americans to detect jihadists bent on killing Americans. Which is a pretty stunning and true statement, but then again, what's the alternative? What is the alternative? We played a hand. This is, this is my uh, perspective from many thousand miles away. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. We were more concerned about ISIS-K than Taliban. We have been in the last couple of weeks. The Taliban and ISIS-K are at odds. Therefore, we buddied up with the Taliban. And what alternative did we had where the Afghans wouldn't fight for themselves? So is what the journal writes true? What a position for the U.S. to be in relying on the victorious enemy that has spent years trying to kill Americans to detect jihadists bent on killing Americans. Yeah, it is true, but there's more to it. The journal then says, The Taliban may be enemies of ISIS as they compete for jihadist supremacy, but they may also believe they benefit from the airport attack. That's where I, I differ. I don't think that's true. They, why do they say that? They say the bomb didn't kill them. It killed Americans and Afghans attempting to leave the country, and the result will be that fewer Afghans who were allies of the U.S. and NATO will be able to make it out. I think that's small ball. I don't think that ISIS says, I don't know what the final number of Afghans is. Maybe it's 100. But I don't think 
that the Taliban perspective is to say, ah, it's a hundred who therefore couldn't leave and and go live in Milwaukee. No, I think that they now are in a worse position because this attack was successful than if they had prevented any attack and had provided security for Americans seeking safe passage. Next paragraph, Mr. Biden could have introduced enough force to retake the large Bagram Air Force Base, which is farther from Kabul and has two runways and a larger security perimeter. That sounds like a fair criticism. Mr. Biden said Thursday his military advisors told him that Bagram didn't provide much advantage over the Kabul airfield with its single runway. But even if that's true, he could have provided more force protection for the airport and an evacuation that wasn't rushed to meet the Taliban's timetable. Okay, well, I read that statement. I'm sorry if your head's on a swivel, but this is this is the way I read my editorials every day. So the journal's argument is we should have sent more people in. And then I say to myself, well, wait, we should have sent more troops in. But then we would have had more troops in harm's way at a time when ISIS-K is seeking to kill Americans. Somewhere in there lies the, the delicate balance. Final paragraph. I'm skipping a lot of this, but in my Twitter feed right now, I have both of them, both of them. So you can access them easily. I can't help you with the paywalls. But the Kabul airport massacre compounds the humiliation of the botched Afghan withdrawal and will further embolden jihadists. Mr. Biden is telling Americans that Afghanistan won't again become a terror haven, but it already is. The hundreds of jihadists released from prisons with the Taliban victory are already on the attack. More Americans will become targets and far beyond the borders of Afghanistan. I hope there's not truth in that. I fear that there is. To which I say, well, then what was the alternative? To stay forever? I don't want that. And according to the polling and anecdotally based on your calls, you don't want that either. So that's the Wall Street Journal today. Blaming Biden, criticizing the decision to rely on the Taliban for security and saying we've now created a magnet in the Middle East where all of these bad actors can hang out together. Let us switch to the L.A. Times, the latest tragedy in Kabul. The attacks are not after a preamble in which they summarize that at least 13 U.S. service members lost their lives yesterday. They say uh, the President Biden was right to vow vengeance. You know, I hate to be a cynic. It's a sign of my age. I, I, of course, agree with the president saying yesterday, we'll not forgive, we'll not forget, we're going to hunt you down and we'll make you pay. I, I hope I hope we only pull the trigger if we get the right guys. You remember the bombing uh, in the Clinton years of the aspirin factory? Like, there's always this wag the dogish thing that now goes on where somebody's going to pay. And I want the right people to pay. I just I hope we're not going to indiscriminately uh, blow up some things and some folks just because we need to show the world that we've responded. I'd rather we be methodical and sniper like. Anyway, back to the L.A. Times now. The attacks are not, however, the work of the Taliban which has retaken Afghanistan in mere weeks as the Western-backed government and security forces collapsed with scarcely a fight. That was the point that I made a moment ago. It's, yeah, it's not the Taliban who were the architects, and the Afghans haven't protected themselves. L.A. Times, nor are the attacks a sign of failure 
by the Biden administration as host of armchair critics, Washington commentators and Republican cynics have suggested. Ah, okay. so this is going to be a full throated defense of Joe Biden by the L.A. Times. What's their argument? Well, their argument is one. Hey, we got 100,000 people out. In the 11 days before the president addressed the nation. The U.S. military had evacuated 100,000 people from Kabul, 7,000 in the previous 12 hours alone. These airlifts have been one of the most complex logistical undertakings in military history, reminiscent of the British evacuation at Dunkirk in 1940 and the Berlin airlift of 1948 and 49. They then go on to discuss the chaos that accompanied the fall of Kabul, the fact that the Afghans uh, weren't willing to fight for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And now the L.A. Times tries to defend what's gone on by addressing the criticisms. Quote, critics of the evacuations have made entirely disingenuous, self-serving or simply misleading arguments over the last two weeks. Here's our best effort to address the major criticisms. One of the criticisms they address, why do we have to leave Afghanistan at all? Uh, secondly, didn't Biden bungle the planning and execution of the withdrawal? I think that's the, the one that has the most heft. So let's see what the L.A. Times says. The administration has acknowledged that the Afghan government collapsed far faster than intelligence analysts and most military and diplomatic experts had anticipated. Fair enough. But the truth is that the Afghan government had itself urged against a mass evacuation fearing that the sight of thousands of Afghans leaving on planes would undermine the already shaky confidence in the government of President Ashraf Ghani and his Western-backed forces. Moreover, as Biden reiterated on Thursday, no war ends with a completely smooth, bloodless withdrawal of all troops and allied citizens. This is the way that they actually conclude the editorial Isn't this a god-awful tragedy, the Times asks, and then, and this is really where they're coming from, yes, and also an inevitable one. Hey, somebody was going to die on the way out the door. We're lucky, this is me paraphrasing, we're lucky we already got 100,000 out. Thank God we were able to get 100,000 folks out. That's a success, so the L.A. Times argues. While the Wall Street Journal says, how in the world could you have subcontracted this out to the Taliban? And on the subcontracting point, you've got to read the Politico story, which is posted at Smirconish.com and is also in my newsletter today. I'm going to talk to one of the uh, three co-authors of this in the second hour of the program. U.S. officials in Kabul gave the Taliban a list of names of American citizens green card holders and Afghan allies to grant entry into the militant controlled outer perimeter of the city's airport, a choice that's prompted outrage behind the scenes from lawmakers and military officials. The move detailed to Politico by three U.S. and congressional officials was designed to expedite the evacuation of tens of thousands of people from Afghanistan as chaos erupted in Afghanistan's capital city last week after the Taliban seized control of the country. It also came as the Biden administration has been relying on the Taliban for security outside the airport. This is a subject that came up yesterday in the president's briefing. He didn't acknowledge full awareness of it 
nor did he deny it. He said that this is, I'm paraphrasing, you know, something that might have taken place given that we're relying on the Taliban. There, there's not a direct causal connection between our sharing names with the Taliban of people we were seeking to evacuate and the explosions yesterday, but it's seen as a uh, an example of, barometer of, evidence of the quote-unquote lax way in which we were handling the evacuation by entrusting you know people who have been our sworn enemy for the last 20 years. But again, I say, well, what was the alternative? And if you want to get, uh, and, and this, there's not enough reporting on this yet for me to know the answer. But part of me also reads this and says, maybe the reason we were successful in getting 100,000 out is that we were relying on the Taliban to help us determine who gets through and who doesn't get through. We couldn't rely on the Afghans. The enemy of the enemy is my friend. This perhaps was the only way we could have gotten it done unless we would send more troops into harm's way. And then perhaps they'd be subject to the next bomb blast. If I sound like I'm speaking in circles, it's because I am. Because I've watched all the commentary from yesterday into last night and this morning, and I am hearing people present this as a black and white, no shade of gray, no shade of purple And it's just not like that. It's just not like that. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.